Tammy, I want to thank you for sharing that prayer with us. Gives us uh, insight into your heart and your faith. And one announcement I failed to mention, we bring this up every once in a while, about the outreach of our uh, social media, if you will. Is that uh, 12,000 a record, Rick, or close to it? We had 12,000 views last week and 4,500 playthroughs. Yeah. Yeah, praise the Lord. So continue to pray for, for that, the outreach through the Facebook and uh, YouTube and even through the website. And uh, invite folks to watch. To listen. It's an opportunity, you know. If they're, in, they're, if they're into that, maybe you can't get them to come to the services right away, but say, hey, why don't you take a look at some of the lessons we're preaching, talking about Jesus. Okay. I want to talk about three difficult words this morning. Actually, it's going to be nine words. Three sets of three. Uh, and some words are more difficult for us to say than for others. And this lesson is really about how God is after our whole person. What we do, what we say, what we think. He just wants us to become like his son in every way. Uh, you know, some words just spill out of our mouths like water from a hose. But other words come out like a dripping faucet. We have a hard time saying them. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. It's been said that uh, the most difficult word for some men to say, meaning males, is I love you. Now a man will say I love you to his uh, shotgun or his video game controller or to his dog, or to his truck. But he has a hard time saying it to his wife. Brothers, if you have a wife, you need to tell her you love her. Verbally speak the words, often. But we're not talking about those words this morning. We're going to talk about some other words. Words that if they remain unspoken cause a lot of bad things to happen. And if we do speak them, they put us in a right relationship with other people and we're very pleasing to God and it'll just make our lives go a lot more smoothly. So I want to start in Matthew 12 here just to talking about words in general. And then we'll look at these three words. Matthew 12, 33. Uh, in the context here, Jesus had been casting out demons. And uh, the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees said, well, he's casting out demons by the prince of the demons, Beelzebub, which, of course, is Satan. And Jesus said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's just crazy because that means Satan's kingdom is divided because he put the demons there in the first place. And now he's casting them out. What's the point in that? 
And so that's where he brings us to verse 33 in Matthew 12. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Uh, Jesus notes here some inescapable truths of life, which <laughs> many of these truths he presents are like that. A tree is either good or bad. In the main, you know, this isn't to say that a, that a bad person could never do anything good or that a, a really good person could never do anything bad, but in the main, people are good or bad. They do good things or they're on an evil path to do wicked things. So it says a tree is going to be one way or another. Of course, this is a parable, and it refers to people. You can tell the kind of tree a person is by its fruit, what they do. And not only by what they do, but by what they say. And we might even say by what they don't say. Verse 34, we see here that the heart of the whole thing is the person's heart. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The heart of the inner person will dictate what you say, or of course what you do, but here he's speaking about words. And in the context he's saying to these Pharisees, your heart is not right. Because you're saying that what I'm doing is evil, but what I'm doing is really good. I'm casting out these demons. Verse 35, he talks about the good treasure of a person that is good. That's what's inside. That's what a person is holding to. That's in the person's heart. Their thoughts, their attitudes, their beliefs, their prejudices, their presuppositions, all those things. That's all inside of us. And that's what is, if you will, the motive for what we do or say. It's what's inside of us, what's in the heart, the way we think, our values, our fears. That's all inside. And that's what comes out with what we do and in particular with what we say. He speaks there about the careless word. Footnote says useless word. We'll give an account for those. You know, when we often say bad things about people, which we really shouldn't, things that may or may not be true, but we don't know, and even at that, you know, Jesus warned in the Sermon on the Mount about calling names about our brother and being angry with our brother for out of cause, without a cause and so forth that we have to be very careful, not just what we do, but what we say. We're both, the proverb says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And we're to be about, if we're Christian, about saying words that are good, wholesome, uplifting, encouraging, truthful. 
and nothing that is meant to tear people down. And if we need to criticize, it needs to be done with a compassionate heart in the right place at the right time. Verse 37 then, by your words you will be justified, again, because that shows the kind of person you are on the inside. It will come out. It will come out in your speech what you really are. Okay, with that being said, let's go to James 5. Our first set of words is this. I was wrong. I was wrong. I don't, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many people said that last week. Not too many. I didn't ask. It's hard to say, isn't it? Unless you have the right heart to understand how important it is when you're wrong. But see, that's part of the problem because maybe you're never wrong, right? Are you one of those people? You're never wrong. You just, what's that? You're wrong every day. Okay. It's pointed out to you, right? <laughs> well, you got the right heart, Mike. But you know, some folks, it's like, oh, I couldn't have done that. It's, they're like the politicians of the day. They spin it. Oh, it, I, I was just you know, upset about this or upset about that, or it's in my DNA. That's just the way I am or, you know, whatever it is. He made me do it. She made me do it. We've got to have an excuse. We've got to spin it some way that we're never wrong. We've never done something wrong. What we have to do is be honest with ourselves, obviously. If we're going to address, ever address our failures and weaknesses, we have to admit, starting with ourselves, when we do something wrong, when we've sinned, when we've erred so that we can deal with it. You know, we may be ashamed of what we've done. Well, that's our conscience speaking to us. We need to handle that in the correct way. Maybe we're afraid of what others will think. Well, maybe, maybe you should be. Maybe we've built up this whole image of ourselves that we are near perfect and we never do anything wrong. Shame on us. Nobody's like that. Politicians always looking at the polls, you know. They don't want to put anything out there. We don't want to admit we did this. Oh, we're working on that. We, we, we didn't, you know, the, this was the previous administration or whatever it is or out of our control. The only poll that matters is God. Whether we're talking about politicians or ourselves, you know, we've got this social media thing now, right? And we're putting ourselves out there, this and that, and I don't know how, if you're doing that and saying, you know, we're, we're a happy and great family or whatever it is, and we never do anything wrong, or I know you don't want to put your, put your bad stuff out there, but if you don't, and I'm not telling you to, but it creates a problem 
If you keep painting this picture of everything is rosy and great, but it's really not, then you start to believe it. You see? James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I was wrong. I did wrong. I don't know how you want to say it. I messed up. It was my fault. The new one going around today is own it, right? And if you did it and it was wrong, own it. Confess it, especially to the person that you hurt. You will be surprised how good you feel and how much better that relationship will be than if you try to hide and say you didn't do it or pretend that it didn't happen. This is scripture. This, these are the words God wants us to use. This is the heart he wants us to have. And of course, we always want to be honest with God, right? We've got to be honest with God. I mean, he knows, right? He knows. I mean, your spouse might not know, your best friend might not know everything, but God does. So why do we try to hide it? Admit it, confess it, face it, and then start working on it with his help. I remember years ago when Gabe and Buffy were little. How long ago was that? I want to ask. Anyway, there was a couple times I, uh, I lost my temper. Shouldn't have, but I did. It got, as they say, it got under my skin. And before they went to bed that night, I told them, little ones, Daddy was wrong. Daddy was wrong for yelling at you for that. I shouldn't have done it. You got to own it. You can't just hurt people and walk away. So when you're wrong, admit it, come clean and learn from it. Everything will go a lot better. The second words, or the Second set of words, go to Mark 11. Is that what it is? Yeah, Mark 11. Difficult often to say, I forgive you. You got one, uh, one over here. I was wrong. Now you got the other shoe or the other foot. I forgive you. Hard to say sometimes, isn't it? It is, admit it. I, I admit it. It's hard, it's hard to say. Especially if some people do things which really hurt. They cause drastic changes in your life and create permanent scars. Some examples. She just left me and took the kids. It's happened. I thought it was just a date, but he tried to rape me. He lied about me and got me fired. Mm -hmm. 
I want to talk about forgiveness a little bit. Because quite frankly, when I was working through this lesson, I struggled with it. Not about forgiving people, but about just the whole scenario of being hurt and needing to forgive. Because first of all, the memory and the hurt will often always be with you. I'm not talking some like some petty little thing, somebody stole $5 from you, but some of these major things in life, you cannot forget them. And there's nothing in scripture that says you'd have to forget them. Okay? It's not there. And some people struggle with that. I can't forget it. That's right. You can't. And I bring up this just as an illustration. Someone is in a bad car accident caused by another person, and now they're in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. How are you going to forget that? You can't forget that. So stop trying to forget these things. They're always going to be with you. But what does forgiveness mean? And when you go home, I, I said this in another lesson previously. When you go home, I want you to think this through. What does forgiveness mean to you? When you say, I forgive you. What does that mean that you're going to do or not do? I want you to think about that. And I'm going to work my way through some thoughts here. The bottom line I came up with was this. You release that other person of any obligation to make it up to you. It's like owing a debt. And if you remember... And the Lord's gives us the Lord's Prayer. The one rendition is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I've often thought about, what was he talking about? Is he talking about money? He's not talking about money. He's talking about when someone sins against you and it actually creates a debt that they owe you. For what they did. And in most cases, they cannot pay it back. They can't, they can't take you out of the wheelchair and make you walk. They can't give you back a, a child or a spouse or something if they caused their death. They can't do it. And you can't forget it. But what you do, you have to release them from any obligation whatsoever to repay you, that they owe you nothing. This is where I came to, and maybe I'm way off. I don't think I'm way off. There might be more to it. It doesn't mean you don't think the other person was guilty. It doesn't mean you don't think they were responsible. It doesn't mean that after this is over, Everything will be the same as before. You may have to, depending on you know, who the person is, there might be a long period of rebuilding trust. 
But what you're saying is, you are free of me. You owe me nothing for what you did, and therefore I am free of you. Because you see, not forgiving people hurts you more than it hurts them. Because you're carrying that around with you, thinking they owe you something. And you just have to let that go. Let's look at Mark eleven twenty five. It's not going to, I don't know, give us any more insight. But just the thought, whenever you stand praying, forgive. There it is. Forgive. If you have anything against anyone, there's the thought. So that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. See, when we sin, if even if I sin against Hampton here, I also sin against God, don't I? Every sin is against God. And so I need to get it right with Hampton, and I need to get it right with God. You stand praying, forgive. What? What do we want when we want God to forgive us? I thought about this, too. What do, you, what do you want? We know we're guilty, so we don't want God to pretend we're not, because he can't lie and he won't do that. But what we need is to be free of any obligation to make it up to him, right? Because we can't. Once you sin, it's on the books. Once you sin, it's on the books. Uh, you know I'm a baseball guy. Uh, and I, uh, I laugh, shake my head at some of these announcers. You know, the, the guy in the second inning, the shortstop makes an error, throws the ball away, and allows two runs to score. And then uh, one of these announcers will say later on, they'll say, when this guy comes up to bat, but a couple guys on, he said, I bet he'd like to get a base hit or hit a home run to atone for that error that he made. And I say it doesn't work that way. Those runs are already in. It's, it's too late. You can't make up for it. You, you can just be forgiven and move on. Do your best. So... Maybe these words, I know that it helped me as I thought through this to consider forgiving others. I know it can be hard, but when we understand what forgiveness is, we can say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Of course, Jesus is the great example, right? right. Father, forgive them. They know not what to do. Okay, we could go deeper, but we don't have time. Last three words. Let's go to Romans 10. Difficult for some people to say. Jesus is Lord. So many people want the salvation. They want the forgiveness of sin. They want the hope of eternal life. But they don't want to accept Jesus as the Lord and master and shepherd of their life. 
They want to continue to live their own life in their own way and not change anything. And I think this is one thing that keeps a lot of people from obeying the gospel, being baptized into Christ. They know they need saved. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the cross and the blood, as we talked last week. But they're just not willing to submit their lives to Christ, to direct them, to help them change, to get rid of things they need to get rid of, to start doing things they need to start doing. They're not willing to give them up. They need to say Jesus is Lord. Well, we know Jesus is Lord, right? Amen. He is Lord. God, he's at the right hand of the Father. He's made Lord in Christ, as Peter said on the day of Pentecost. And he is Lord. And we know, as it says in Philippians 2, on that final day, what? Everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So not to accept Jesus as Lord in your life is really to deny the truth. That he's actually already Lord of your life. You just need to accept it and let him direct your paths. Be your shepherd. Okay. I was wrong. I forgive you. Jesus is Lord. There would be some other words that are hard to say too, but these are the ones we chose. If you haven't been saying those when you need to say them and you know you need to say them, we encourage you to say them. You'll feel better. And today, is a, lot to, a lot is about feeling better, right? You'll feel better. Your relationships will be a lot better, especially your relationship with God, with others. And your life will be blessed. And if you have never acknowledged that Jesus is Lord of your life, maybe you believe in him, but you've not accepted him as Lord, I encourage you to do that. Because, in fact, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. For more from Jeff Kent and the Shadyside Church of Christ, please go to our website at cofcshadyside.com. There you can access our entire library of Sunday church lessons and Jeff's weekly blog. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Shadyside Church of Christ. Remember, all are welcome. Thanks again. Have a blessed week.